0: Hi, if you're looking for greater hope, assurance, and confidence through the shifting sands of life, then join me on today's episode as we dig deep into the Bible to discover rock-solid truth for life and living from the God of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Keffer. We're continuing on through the Gospel of Matthew as we see the Lord Jesus Walking nearer and more focused on his ultimate purpose, which was to be crucified, to bear the wrath of God the Father for all of our sin, and to be resurrected. So, as he does it, he continues to narrow his impact. And we are in Matthew 23 today. Let's read the top. If you'd stand together with me in honor of God and his word, that'd be great. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the cheap seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At home in our family room, we have one of those exercise balls, you know, the one that you blow up and I bought a custom cover, which is uh, a globe, literally the, the earth. It zips around, and it's a globe, and I leave it in the family room upside down, which reminds me that we live in a world that is upside down, inside out. And so as Jesus walks through the earth during his time here, he continues to remind them that we are upside down and inside out, in fact, that we're in we're in a place where what we think and what we've been taught in the zeitgeist of our age, the carbon monoxide, the odorless, colorless gas that is being pumped into the air by the prince of the power of the air is a carbon monoxide, a spiritual carbon monoxide, which puts us into a stupor and pretty soon leads to death. So we have to remind ourselves. So as he Unfolds before us the kingdom we're reminded this doesn't make sense <laughs> because in our sense right we've got the flesh that we're struggling with and our old man and all of that stuff and the world around us, and he just doesn't make sense, does he? So here he is encountering right the uh, the crowds and the disciples that said now Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples now prior to this, he had spoken to the Pharisees, and he Um, sugar-coated his feeling. He called them, you hypocrites, you play actors, right? You those who put on masks in order to fool people, you hypocrites. And then he spoke to his disciples in the past about the Pharisees, and he said, watch out, watch out and beware, not of the Pharisees themselves, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees right, the way they operated, not beware of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but watch out and beware, right, be be on the alert, if you will, that's pretty strong language, you hypocrites, he called them directly, but he says, for you who are my disciples, watch out and beware of the leaven, right, because the leaven can not only leaven them, it can leaven you, (laughs) So the scribes were there to study the law, transcribe it, and write commentaries on it. In fact, We have uh, a lot to be thankful for for the scribes in the Old Testament, because they would literally letter by letter by letter. And they would count the number, and right? So that, that they transcribed just the law. Thankful for that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were sort of the ruling crowd, the ruling uh, religious crowd. The Pharisees gave oral tradition equal authority to the written word of God. The Sadducees insisted on literal interpretation of scripture. Sadducees did not believe in pretty much anything supernatural, angels, resurrection, that kind of thing. The chief priests and the high priests were Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group that ceased to exist after uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. They went away. The Pharisees continued and they compiled the Mishnah, which is the main text of the Talmud, which is today the comprehensive guide, the, the full gamut of Jewish law and tradition. So if you are rabbinic Jewish or, or Orthodox Jew, right, the Talmud is kind of the, the guide to life for them. Uh, and it, it is, it is uh, equal, if not higher authority than scripture. Well, of course, as time went on, tradition or their interpretation of law became greater than the law. So tradition and the law. Tradition and the law. How do we look at tradition? Does tradition make sense at all? Well, of course it makes sense because we're moving from a verbal, right? A verbal world, a verbal, how did you pass on, right? In the old days, they literally, they would take a letter and they would memorize it right? They didn't have the written, so yes, we moved from an oral world to a written world, but they were still in an oral world, so tradition did have a, a, a place, but their, their interpretation got to the place where tradition um, not only became equal, but in many cases became greater than. So Jesus said, thus invalidating, the word of God, thus invalidating the word of God. And how are they invalidating it? By your tradition, you've handed down. And he said, and you do many such things as that. So it wasn't just a rare occurrence. It was happening often, invalidating the word of God. Therefore, tradition became more authoritative than the word. And I think in that scripture, they give us a sense. So tradition is fine, and there are many traditions, but in order for us to know, we have to get a sense of how do we determine level? We're going through the house. I'll have one view of level. Beth will have another view. Hers is usually right. And when we build our house, the most important thing, we had a friend. In fact, they were, uh, what's his name, Ray? Yeah, Ray was a builder. So we had Ray come over every week as they were laying the foundation. He brought his laser level kit. I mean, he had a big deal because if you don't lay the foundation level, everything on top of it's impossible. That's why in an old house, it's very difficult to do anything right square because the old house is not level any longer. So the question is, we have traditions that are passed down in many ways. How do we laser level them? We lay them against the word of God lay them against the word of God. So the laser level. So he says, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. So again, not saying traditions are wrong. They're just saying, how do we know which traditions are invalidating the word of God and which are not? By laying them against the laser level of the word of God. Does that make sense? So that's how traditions are fine. We just know the Word of God is the way to determine whether they're appropriate or not. And the fundamental deal was that the scribes and the Pharisees were about uh, what I would call deliberate and ostentatious, really spiritual displays of righteousness, so I put in there, they were spiritual show-offs. Spiritual show-offs. Because a show-off is a deliberate and excessive, ostentatious right, display. And Jesus said, so he says to them, do what they say, right as they speak the law, for sure, do what they say, respect the office, Respect the law, but don't do what they do. Don't do what they do. And you can write down there, uh, the wizard, the man behind the curtain. So when they were standing before the Wizard of Oz and they're seeing the great and powerful Oz, right? And Toto goes over and pulls the curtain back and he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? Look up at the screen. So what they were saying is, look at the screen, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. So Jesus said, those two things should be the same. They are saying the man behind their curtain was not the same as their display. In fact, they were deliberately putting on display something that wasn't who they were behind the curtain. They were spiritual show-offs. So the first thing he says is, that they say things and do not do them, and they hold others to a higher standard that they don't hold to themselves. So that is what scripture calls hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, play acting. It's the mask, right, that we put on in a, uh, in a theater production, and it's put on on purpose to deflect who I am really inside, right? am really inside so he's saying hypocrisy is one of the things that's a problem for them. but it's a great reminder that falling short is not the same thing as saying something holding to a truth right that that you have uh, uh, no intention to follow It's not the same. If I uphold truth, and yet I fall short of it, that's very different than I say it with the purpose of really fooling you or putting on a mask. Does that make sense? Because Scripture says a righteous man falls seven times. What seven mean? Complete, full, totally, right? So we uphold truth, we speak truth, we affirm that it's truth, and yet we fall. And we do that, and we confess our sins to the Lord, And we remind people, we remind people that we are struggling, that we struggle just like everyone else. We fall short. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. Well, what do you mean? For I am not practicing what I would like to do. I understand that. How many understand that? I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I do the very thing I hate the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice a very evil that I do not want. Wretched man that I am. I may have cried out like that with an exclamation point. Literally, wretched man that I am. Why? I don't do what I want to do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Right? What is it? Sin. It's the old man. It's the old nature. It's the struggle. Gee. I always thought you have to you gotta believe that now forty plus years as a Christian, I got it all together. No, I'm I feel more sinful than when I started. Because why is it? Uh, because you know, if you think about God and his holiness, right? As we move along, right, my my view of it, right, here's here's the reality of where I am, right? Something like that. So I get the sense when I first, oh, there's his holiness, right? The cross really covers that. Now, I am growing over time, falling, falling up, right? But my sense of his holiness, and this continues to... (laughs) go up here, right? And then I see, oh, he's holy, he's righteous. This, the idea, once you understand the infinite holiness, the infinite glory, the infinite worth of God, the idea that I could somehow work to close that gap, that I could somehow work to get forgiveness, that I could somehow pay a penance that would be sufficient ever, even for Even for remission of my sin, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And there's a difference between remission and forgiveness. Everybody got Remission is the forgiveness of all my sin. Because the wrath, the infinite wrath of God has poured out upon his son. That allows for ongoing forgiveness. Forgiveness is, Lord, here I am again. Here I am again. Is your mercy going to run out? How many times am I going to confess this today? How many times am I going to confess this this week? How many times am I going to confess this? It's a new year. I'm not going to do this. Oh, man, that was five minutes ago. Here I am again in my heart, right? I'm struggling. Holy smokes. The remission of sin, the blood of Christ, right? And forgiveness that we have as a result of it. What I'm doing, I do not understand. Well, he says, you need to understand it. There's the old man. So hypocrisy. Saying things that you do not do. And he says they they lay heavy legalistic loads on men. So legalism is heavy legalistic loads. (laughs) Why do I do that? I think generally... It's to feel better about myself. And what I'll do is I'll find areas where I'm good. And most people are not. So the 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 things that are most important legalistically are the ones that I have not. And then I look at others and I say, Well, you're not. And so these teachers were laying these heavy, and 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 Jesus said, You lay heavy loads upon men's shoulders, and you don't lift a finger to move one of them still remember that line in the choice you lay heavy loads and you don't move you, you don't raise a finger to, to relieve those burdens so they were laying those legalistic loads jesus said take my yoke upon you for i am gentle and humble and hard, and you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy My yoke is easy. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My my load is light. You laying heavy loads, crushing loads, legalistic loads, the law upon my shoulders will crush me. You uh, you don't understand the law. (laughs) You don't understand. You should study the Old Testament to understand the infinite glory of God. Because once you understand his infinite glory, there aren't enough laws to, to be able to fully describe to us his glory. When you see that, you see his glory is infinite. So the, the law just kind of shows us, holy smokes, let me try one. No, don't eat of that tree. How'd we do with that? We didn't do that. How about 10? No, how about three? How about two? How about one? How about, right? It doesn't really matter. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two of them. How are we doing? Not so well, right? It shows you the law. By, the, the, by the, the law, no man is justified. Now, therefore, he said, this is what's interesting. Talking about circumcision. He says, now, therefore, why do you put God in Acts 15:10 to the test? By placing the neck uh, upon the neck of the disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. That's really interesting. You don't only lay heavy loads, but he says you put God to the test when you do that. When you lay upon them uh, a law, you have to be circumcised to be saved. You have to be circumcised to be saved. Huh. He reminds us in Galatians, amen, it was for freedom that Christ Set as free. You want to live by the law. If you break one law, you've broken all the laws. Therefore, keep, what's he say? Standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke. What kind of yoke is it? Yoke of slavery. You want to keep the law? Keep it all. Hold on, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Think about that. If you want to be justified by Christ plus, then Christ is of no benefit to you. If it's Christ plus anything, then Christ is of no benefit to you. That's a really powerful statement. And that's what freedom is. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Yes. And his commandments are not burdensome. Interesting. Yeah, obedience, but his commandments are not burdensome. We we love the law when it justifies me and shows me that I'm better than you, right? So we each have our kind of, even as Christians, we have our little legal check marks. These are the ones I do. Oh, I keep quiet time. You don't. I do this. You don't. <laughs> Right? What are we doing? We're trying to do affirm our own righteousness by comparing it to others, make ourselves feel better. Right? And that's what they were doing. Legalism. They lay heavy legalistic loads on others. LeBoer. So I put the next thing he says beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, right? Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. So they do all their righteous deeds for Facebook notice. Facebook is the ultimate personal branding software. It allows you to to display to the world your righteousness, your deeds, right? You get to display on Instagram and Facebook. You got your, your own advertising agency, right? You look on there, you got it all together, you know? Got it all together. So I put there that means for show. They do their stuff for show. She's saying Facebook is evil. Yes. I didn't say that. No, I'm saying that the that the that the the intent there is to put on display Something that's not necessary. It's the great and powerful laws, and I can display that, right? I can display that. They do all their righteous deeds for notice. That's the point. And then lastly, for special honor. So hypocrisy, legalism, for show, and for special honor. For special honors. He talks about the phylactery, phylacteries, right? Bind them upon your wrist. Put them on your forehead. As if God said, put the law on your forehead. I mean, think about that. I'm just gonna walk around with the Bible on my forehead. Is that really what he wanted? He said, bind them upon your heart, too. I just can't see him bound upon your heart. I can see him bound upon your head. I mean, the thought, you think, do you think God really meant like stick that on your forehead? Rat so it's on, on your arm on your forehead. Yeah, I mean, long tassels. I mean, just the, the, the whole idea, of course. Special, you know, chief seats, places of honor, special titles. France said, an exhortation which today's church could profitably take more seriously, not only in relation to formal ecclesiastic titles, most reverend, right, but more significantly in its excessive deference in this world, to academic qualifications or to authoritative status, right? Do not call someone father. I mean, all that thought, again, not that you can't ever, and not that you're not my spiritual son and I'm your spiritual father, but that sense of usurping authority and using it to be in authority and to put someone else somewhere else, right? So just that idea of special titles give me honor, Give me honor in front of other people right deference to another so he just says beware just beware of that stuff beware of that stuff not that it can't ever because you can turn that into a legalistic thing too (laughs) don't ever call anybody you know no just keep in mind that whole idea is that at the end of the day right what's he say god is your father right from an authoritative standpoint so just this picture, in, in God's kingdom, Jesus Christ is the one teacher, leader, messiah, ruler, and guide. He's the one. He's the head of the body of the church. Right? He is the one in ultimate authority. Just a reminder, you cannot usurp Christ's authority. Happens, right, Or we take his authority. So just a reminder, in God's kingdom, Jesus Christ is the one. He's also head of the body of the church. Why is that? so that he himself would come to have first place. First place is a priority, but also authority. He comes to have first place. And of course, in in God's kingdom, the greatest is the servant. Oh, I hate that. Don't you think, what are you talking about? The greatest is the servant. Geez, isn't it? Even there's part of you that goes like, oh, no, the greatest is the strongest and the biggest. And the, right? The greatest is the one with the most power. The greatest is the one with the most success. The greatest is the one with the most, you know, everything. Right? That's the greatest. Because that's who we are. That's not only the zeitgeist, but it appeals to my old man, my flesh, doesn't it? That's the greatest, not, not the servant. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he says, I have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What? The immortal, the uncontainable, stepped into a man cage, into a man thing. Think about it. He stepped into the uncontainable, stepped into a human container. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And scripture says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree not only stepped into a man container he stepped in and became cursed he took the curse that was my curse your curse right the curse he took god's eternal wrath fell upon him the only one who could survive eternal wrath is the son who is eternal as well god resurrects him from the dead and it gives us a picture in the kingdom, that's what's first. I just don't even like that. It just seems what? And then you think the eternal one with uncontainable power steps aside and steps into container. How can someone with so much power and authority, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, it's dominion from generation to generation. Is humble. Doesn't make sense, does it? The two don't seem to go together. Power and humility, what? See, power means control. Power means, I mean, charge. Power means, right? I use that in charge of others. And so we know power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It corrupts us absolutely. It doesn't corrupt the eternal one who's incorruptible. It's stunning that he would be humble along with power. Doesn't it, make, doesn't it make sense, does it? We see the two and they don't seem to be able to be together. But he's one with all authority, all power. He's stunning. He's stunning. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And not just to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Our God is stunning, isn't he? The kingdom, the king. So he says to us, okay, beware. Because you love to point the fingers at the Pharisees. Those Pharisees. Arrogant and prideful and all dressed up with their big hats and their things, right? Strutting around town, getting greetings in the marketplace, giving me first special seats and all of that, those Pharisees, folks, Pharisees. Well, he reminds us, beware, we are all Pharisees. We are all Pharisees. We all struggle to be seen by men, don't we? We all struggle, or at least people you know struggle with that. We all struggle. So I put on there, interestingly enough, I believe we are all wired to seek recognition, honor, glory, and reward. The question is who, what, why, when, and how? So let's read these. For am I now seeking, Galatians 1 for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So he says, here's sort of right, a continuum here. Please men, please God. And he's saying, this is what I used to do, right? This is what I used to do, right? In other words, this is what's natural for me. This is what... I should be doing, right? And I'm usually moving between the two, am I right? Sometimes more in this direction, sometimes more in this direction. But he's saying this, we need to work at making our priority. Our priority. We're naturally wanting to please men. Want to have affirmation, validation, right? we're we struggle but he's saying seek to make that your priority your priority to please god where and one where and when he said even when you drink in the in in the you know in the in the littlest things of life seek to make our priority is to please God not men priority which we don't often think because we wake up in the morning once I get with God I think my priority is to please myself I go off into work, or I go off into a hobby, or I go off into the day, and generally, I don't need help. Nobody goes to a seminar, you know, seven ways to think about myself more. You know, reminders, checklists, think about yourself today. Think about how to please other people, right, and get validation. It's just wired into our old man. So our priority is to please God, not men. Next, let's read Colossians 3. He says, not with external service. As those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So we are to serve, even though we're doing other work in other places, we are to serve Jesus Christ with a sincere heart. Sincere heart. That is, internally, we serve externally, we serve with a sincere heart internally. the desire in my heart to serve him, which brings a higher purpose to everything I do. Brother Andrew would say, whether I'm washing washing the dishes, still to the glory of God, practicing the presence of God, right? no matter what I'm doing, with a sincere heart. Which means in here, not just to please, not merely pleasing men. And then he says, so that your giving, your praying, your fasting, your serving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So often in secret, right? Often in secret. Which means there's, there are times in life when nobody's watching. Nobody's watching, right? And so in secret, because they would pray out loud. They would fast with grumbly faces, right? They would shout out their giving. Again, we could turn that into legalism. Never talk about your giving. It says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Well, the fact is, your accountant will know what you give fact is if you're in a huddle group oftentimes you're sharing sometimes to be encouraged or challenge yourself sometimes to challenge others right uh robert letourneau gave away 90 percent at one point but he moved his way toward that right letourneau moved his way toward 90 percent why do people share that as an encouragement not to beat you legalistically but to encourage you Does that make sense so we can turn it into a legalistic principle. Never talk about your giving, right? No, the idea is often in secret that I don't need to do it to be validated. And God who sees in secret, he will reward you. Because you, sometimes you wonder, like, what's the point? And particularly when you think about praying or fasting, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Why are we praying for another decade? Does it really matter? Because oftentimes it doesn't seem like God is listening, right? He's not answering. He's not answering right now. He's not answering the way I want. Does it really matter? So Revelation tells us every prayer is is put into a bowl of incense. There isn't one prayer you pray through your life that's lost. Every prayer is heard. Every prayer is heard. It goes into a bowl of incense. And we have no idea what's happening in the unseen world. Because prayer is moving and working in the unseen world. And so it's hard. That's why he says, what you do in secret, God sees. And he rewards. He, He answers. Good to remember, particularly for spiritual exercises. Praying, giving, fasting. Because you wonder, does it matter? Because nobody sees those. So does it really matter if I give more, if I pray more, if I fast more, right? Does it really matter? Yes, it does. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. His master says to him, well done. Good and faithful slave. You were faithful to a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things, entering into the joy of your master. See, if you think about that, we are indeed wired for affirmation from, our, from people we respect and care about. So that's sometimes we will get it here. And so that is to say, do I ever not get affirmation here on earth? No, yeah, people I respect and care about, right? Where we encourage one another, challenge one another. Yeah, absolutely. But we're wired for the well done. The year at the end of our days, well done, right? And to know at the end of the days, Jesus Christ is our well done. You might say, oh, I don't know that I'm faithful. well done, I don't know that I'm faithful. No, he is, the, he is your well done. He is your good and faithful, right? We are in Christ. And so we hear the well done. So knowing you will be rewarded, and not just rewarded, but rewarded by the Lord. Second Timothy says, in the future there's laid up for me The crown of righteousness, the reward, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award or reward to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. So it will be in the future. The Christian life is like farming. You break the soil. You lay the seed. You water it. You don't see a lot happening. It's frustrating, the weather, the toil, all of that. Pretty soon a tree comes up and fruit comes later. That's a picture, right? Dwell in the land, scripture says, and cultivate faithfulness. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Sometimes it doesn't seem to matter. No, the Lord says, in time, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So he says, we all seek recognition, honor, glory, right, reward. Question is, who, what, why, when, and how? Our our priority is to please God, not men. Serving Jesus Christ with a sincere heart, internally, right, externally, often in secret, knowing you will be rewarded by the Lord, and that happens when, in the future, mostly we're farming. We're farming. The harvest will come because the Lord will come. Either come for you or he's coming for all of us. One or the other. He's either going to come for you, cup, time to come home, or he's going to come for all of us, but he's coming again. And he's coming again. So he reminds us, right? Let our recognition, our honor, our glory, and our reward be in him. All right, write down to the insight. It's a good reminder. Yeah, don't have talent envy, don't have plot envy, don't have gift envy, right? Don't have position envy, don't have any of that, right? Because that's what we'll tend to do, right? So everyone in here, by the way, if you're here, you're a two or a five, and mostly fives, which means double, right? God is interested in you replicating, right? Reproducing, doubling who you are and what what he's given you, right? He's giving you two talents, five talents, ten talents, right? Double the talent. Yep. Double the talents. Right now. I mean, there's, you know, we, we live in a, in a microwave world where I want it, right. I want to do it and I want to get it right. I want to get right. And the, you know, we also live now in a, in a generation that wants it up front. I want, I want all the fruits up front. Right. Which is, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge for me in, in coaching first generation is when they're working with second generation because The second generation kids want all the benefit, they want to be paid, have all the freedom, all of it up front. I want to have it now. Like, are you on crack? Like, you know, know, where does that happen? I want to step onto the farm where the fruit's coming out, and I want to be able to have a balanced life and you know, enjoy myself and take time off. And like, we'd have to work, yeah. I mean, if somebody dropped you on a farm, and maybe if you've been dropped on a farm, it's already been 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 you know the the ground's been tilled and seeded and right the 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 orchard's working right which is why you know typically third generation shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations or in england they'd say clubs to clubs in three generations right by the third it just the the orchard's gone but spiritually it's the same principle right that we need to be all bearing fruit right bearing fruit and and the hard and it's in the future, right? Uh, and as you said, Mike, in Hebrews, uh, they did not receive what was promised. Future reward. That's a great. reminder. Right? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't receive it in this in the life in the earthly life. Yes, they received it ahead. <laughs> they did receive it. I see the conflict here or potential conflict, and how we deal with that. So, just my thought. Thank you. No, that's, that's very helpful. So to me, here's, here's how I deal with that, Roger. Um, the horse is prepared for the day of battle. Victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is prepared, but victory, fruit, result belongs to the Lord. So to me, it's upon me to prepare my horse, to prepare my, myself for battle. My skills, you know, the, the, the soldier was dressed, armored, uh, uh, sword, right, sharp. Horses prepared, you know, horse saddle, all of that stuff, trained and ready to go. But on the end, victory, fruit, result, all of that. So faithfulness to be prepared, the best that I can be for that. And then I trust the Lord on the other side. And I always ask for anointed preparation as as well as a, a anointed battle, right? Anointed, I need his, his grace and mercy in my preparation, <laughs> as well as his grace and mercy in the battle, right? But the end, victory belongs to the Lord in, in, in all of this, right? So he's given us a, a picture, he himself, and I uh, trust that you were encouraged today to uh, continue to press in and press on as we move forward here. And May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance and grant you his shalom deep in your soul. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, today, and always. Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for listening. I hope you have greater hope, assurance, and confidence in your life and a deeper trust in the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace, his shalom in your soul and in your life. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.